Hope you're having a good week so far. Uh, as I said, welcome to uh, our Wednesday night fellowship. Uh, this semester, uh, we're looking at the Lord's Prayer. Uh, when the disciples go to Jesus and say, teach us to pray, help us to pray, what Jesus gives them, what he gives us, is a prayer in three parts. This probably sounds familiar to you at this point uh, in the semester, right? We look up, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. We look out and say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then we look in and we say, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Right, we look up, we look out, and we look in. Last week we started looking in by looking at that line, give us this day our daily bread. This week and the next, we're really going to focus on this line. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And to help us to do that, we've been taking a passage from the Bible every week that kind of helps shine a light on or sort of make a little bit of sense of what that line means. And tonight we're going to be looking at a passage from the Gospel of Luke chapter 7, uh, verses 36 uh, to 50. You can pay attention to it up here. There are some free Bibles on the table. Uh, Also, you can use uh, an app on your phone uh, to follow along. But we're looking at Luke 7, uh, 36 to 50 tonight. begins this way. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And he, that's Jesus, went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair, uh, with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet. And anointed them with the ointment. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, This man were a prophet, who would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him, for she's a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed him five hundred denarii, and the other fifty. When they could not pay, He canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. Jesus said to him, You've judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil. She has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. And those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, thanks for gathering us together uh, again on a Wednesday night to feed us with your food, uh, to feed us by your word. Uh, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to see what needs to be seen, to hear what must be heard, and to receive and to believe Jesus. I ask these things in his name. Uh, Amen. Uh, The sermon uh, tonight is fairly simple in its outline. I want you to see three things. 
sort of the scene to kind of understand the setting of this, uh, this passage. I want you to notice the story that Jesus tells. And finally, I want you to see your Savior. So that's what we're going to do. Sort of set the scene, listen to the story, pay attention uh, to Jesus, right? The Savior. Tonight's story uh, that we're looking at tonight, it takes place at a dinner party. Uh, a man named Simon uh, has invited Jesus o- over to, to dinner uh, with some guests. It says in the text that Simon was a Pharisee. I doubt you've ever met a true Pharisee. Right? A Pharisee was uh, a religious person. Uh, it's like a religious sect, Jewish denomination, if you like, that was active uh, during the time of Jesus. Pharisees were conservative. They were buttoned up. We might call them legalistic or fundamentalists. Pharisees famously would keep uh, certain laws, like they would tithe the, the mints in their garden, give even down to the mints, you know, to charity. But Jesus would often take them to task for overlooking some of the weightier matters of the law. Things like justice, love of neighbor, mercy. Jesus butts heads uh, with the Pharisees more than any other group uh, in the Bible. And what's really interesting about this passage then is that you've got Simon, a Pharisee, inviting Jesus over to dinner. Now, no doubt, Jesus, or Simon probably took some flack for that. People would be like, why are you inviting him over to your house for dinner? Don't you know what he says about us? He's not the first Pharisee to sort of show interest in Jesus. Nicodemus is a, a, another Pharisee that we meet in the Bible. Nicodemus goes to Jesus at nighttime, right? He's, he's sort of like uh, okay seeing Jesus so long as nobody else notices. But what Simon is doing is very public. Are right? you saying, Jesus, I want you to come into my house. I want you to have dinner. I want to sit at your feet. I want to learn what it is you have to say. I mean, he's interested. He's curious. He's willing to give Jesus a shot, which is pretty cool. Jesus accepts the dinner invitation. Right? In verse 36, we learn that he's reclining at Simon's table. When people would go and eat dinner in Jesus' day and age, they wouldn't sit at like a high-top table with chairs like we do. Food would often be served on a plate that could be put on the floor. People would sit on cushions or like a low couch, and they would recline and they would eat their food that way. Maybe leaning on their left elbow, eating with their right hand, their feet sort of tucked underneath themselves or sort of behind their feet. And this is what they're doing in verse 36. Reclining a table at Simon's house. Verse 36, everything's going great. Right? They're probably, everyone's chatting, maybe enjoying some pita chips, putting down some hummus. But things change, right? In verse 37. Verse 37, an uninvited guest shows up. Party crasher. Luke describes her as a woman of the city, right? A sinner. Now, reading between the lines, right? Woman of the city, a sinner, that's Bible speak for a prostitute, right? A prostitute comes in to the party and she comes up behind Jesus and she falls at his feet and she begins to weep. Now, her crying is not like some soft, trickling tear, right? That you might get while watching Bambi get shot or her Bambi's mom get shot, right? You know, like your eyes well up. You're like, no, that's not what's happening here. This is not a soft cry. This is like a loud sort of like gut-wrenching, maybe ugly cry. Right? Her body is heaving. She's weeping out loud. 
Her tears are falling hot on Jesus' feet. And then she lets her hair out and she starts to wipe her tears on Jesus' feet using sort of her hair as a washcloth. Her tears mixing with her kisses and the ointment that was likely draped around her neck. If you were at a dinner party or if you were at a restaurant and a prostitute came in and sat at a guest's feet or at your feet and started crying and wiping her hair on your feet and like putting perfume on your body, that would be awkward. (laughs) It would be awkward now. And it was awkward then. Right? People certainly notice. Like people stop eating the pita and the hummus. Right? When the woman is here at this at this dinner party. You know, if that happened now, you would go back and you would remember that dinner party from way back when. You'd be like, remember that time we went to like to John's house or Steve's house or Morgan's house and that prostitute came in and started crying all over that guest? Like, that was a crazy dinner. Right? Likely people were talking about this long, long time ago. Right? The story is obviously made its way into this book. We're talking about it tonight. It was a crazy dinner. People notice. People probably notice Simon. They didn't just notice the woman. They probably were looking at Simon like, do you know this woman? He's probably feeling hot with embarrassment and maybe looking at Jesus being like, is she with you? Like, what's the connection? It's kind of scandalous. Simon is embarrassed. He's probably saying like, don't look at me. I don't know her. I didn't invite her to this party. And we know for certain that he's disappointed and disgusted with this woman and with Jesus. We know this because we have sort of his thoughts written down. Essentially, and he says this to himself, right? This guy says he's the son of God. People call him a prophet. Give me a break. Right? You don't need some supernatural vision to know that this woman is a prostitute. Anyone with eyes can see that she is a sinner, that she's a whore. And if Jesus were the real deal, if he was a prophet, if he was divine, he would never, ever let someone like this touch him. Never, ever let someone like this come near to him. He can't be legit. So Simon, who was maybe interested in Jesus, invites him over to dinner and is now ready to sort of kick him out of the house. Simon's saying this to himself, verse 39. We see in verse 40 that Jesus answers him. It says that Jesus answers him. Now, we don't know if Jesus was reading Simon's mind. It's possible. More likely, he was reading Simon's face, right? His face probably told it all. It's probably like, you know. And so Jesus, either reading Simon's mind or seeing sort of the look on his face, says, Simon, I've got something to say to you. I got a story I want to tell you. And he says, well, what is it, Rabbi? Say it. So the scene is set. Part one. Brings us now to our story, the story that Jesus tells. Jesus answers Simon's disgust with a short story. It's only two verses long. It goes like this. Once upon a time, there was a banker, and the banker lent two people some money. Now, one person owed the banker 500 pieces of silver, and the other person owed him 50. Well, at the end of the day, neither of these debtors could pay the banker back, so the banker canceled the debts of both. The end. Jesus concludes the story with a question. Now, of these two, who do you think loves the banker more? 
The story is pretty short and simple. Now, I've never done this before, uh, but I thought I'd give it a try. I wanted to illustrate this story somewhat visually for you. Okay? I brought some props from home. Again, bear with me. I want you to see this visually because it's one thing to hear it. I think maybe it's another thing to see it. I want you to imagine that Jesus, I want you to imagine that these glasses of water are, it's like your life. Like Jesus gives us life and your life is represented by a glass of water. Okay. Jesus entrusts this to you. He says, I want you to take care of this. I want you to steward it. I want you to, in some ways, um, keep it clean. Right? Keep it clear. Not because he's a stickler, but because he's like, I want you to keep it clean. I want you to keep it clear so that others can clearly see God in you. Keep it clean. Keep it clear so that others can catch a glimpse, like a clear reflection of who God is, what his heart is, what his character is like when they look at you. The problem is, we don't do that, right? The problem is, is we sin. Every time that um, we want to do things our own way versus God's way, any time we sort of put our needs uh, above the needs of others, every time we sort of fail to love God or love our neighbor as ourself, right? Sin enters into our life and it enters into the world. See, every time we sin, it's like this. Right, and I'll hold it up for you to see. Right, like sin, like darkening or clouding our otherwise clear life. In the story that Jesus tells, there's two people. And both of these people really are like a stand-in for Simon and the Pharisee. Or excuse me, Simon and the sinful woman. Right, one of these characters is cast as having like this enormous debt, like 500 denarii debt, kind of like the woman. And the other one has a smaller debt, 50, kind of like Simon. You could think of Simon's life like this, right? He's got a smaller debt. I'll put three drops in here. Like one, two, three. This is Simon. This is now the Pharisee. Let's do nine. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. All right, two people whose lives look like this. That's how the story in some ways begins. Jesus seems to acknowledge at the, outside, at the outset that some people's lives are messier than others. He's like, I get it, Simon. You're, you don't have as much sin in your life as this woman, right? Her life is way messier than yours. And it's true, right? The Bible acknowledges this fact. The Bible says that, look, we're all sinners in this room, but some people have more sin in their life than other people. Some people's lives are messier. Some people have bigger debts to pay. Simon, sinful woman. The most important detail in the story actually comes in verse 42. At the end of the day, neither the person with $50, like $50 debt or $500 debt, neither of them can pay it. At the end of the day, neither this person nor this person can give back to the banker what was entrusted to them in the same way that it was given to them. Do you understand? Neither Simon nor the Pharisee can present this to give their cups back in the same shape that they received it. It's dirty. They're in debt. And this gets to the main point, really the heart of Jesus' story. At the end of the day, Simon is in the same position as this woman. They're in debt. Right? 
There's nothing that he can do to make this any cleaner than she can. Right? They are both 100% at the mercy of the banker to in some ways forgive what they have corrupted. To cancel their debt. To give them, in some ways, a fresh start. This person, as well as this person, needs 100% forgiveness. They both need it. There's nothing that either of them can do to make themselves clean. They're both bankrupt. You get what I'm saying? This is Jesus' point. Yes, your life is maybe not as dirty as hers, but you are bankrupt too, son. You need forgiveness too. This is now where we get to really see sort of the goodness, right, and the grace of Jesus. Like what he has come to do, what he accomplishes. Jesus comes... And he has a life of his own. As he grows up, he has every opportunity to sin just like we do. But instead of sinning, he doesn't. See, like every time we would go and we might add a drop into our life, Jesus says no. He just, he doesn't do it. And he doesn't just do this once or twice. He does this his entire life. Like he keeps his cup clean. And this is a remarkable feat. It's hard to do. And it's not that Jesus does this so that we would all stand up and applaud him and be like, way to go, Jesus. <laughs> You're the main. Jesus does not do this, right? Keep his cup clean for our applause. Jesus keeps his cup clean for our salvation. He doesn't do it for our, uh, uh, to, to, to get our applause. He does it to save us. See, the whole reason why Jesus keeps his cup clean, the whole reason why he lives a sinless sort of debt-free life is so that he can go to the cross and pay our debt. It's so that when he goes to the cross, he's not paying for his sins, he's paying for ours. And the only way that he can pay for our debt and not his own is if he has no debt to pay. Jesus keeps his life perfectly clean so that when he goes to the cross, an exchange can take place. He's able to say to the Father, hey, you give me their sin and I'll give them my perfect record. Kind of like swapping jerseys, kind of like trading cups. You give me their mess, I'll pay, and I'll pay the price for it. And in exchange, I will give them my perfect credit score. That's really what the cross is all about. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. For our sake he made him, that's Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, we give Jesus our debt, and he gives us his perfect life, which is debt-free. Like We give him our mess, he gives us a clean record. We give him our dirty cups, he gives us this clean one. And it's not like one that we can corrupt or anything. It's like his life... It's done. It's finished. It's like with a lid on it. There's nothing that you can do that will ruin this. He like seals it up. On the cross, he says it's finished. Debt's paid in full. And now there's nothing that you can add to this. There's nothing that you can take away from this. There's no way that you can ruin this. He says, this is for you. It's yours. Receive it. It's free. You give me yours. I'll give you mine. That's how this will go. That's the offer. This is why Christianity is called good news. This brings us to part number three. I'm going to put the, the props away. I don't know. I hope that was helpful. It felt like a little, maybe a little bit of a science experiment. 
But I hope it's, I hope it's helpful to see it. Right? This brings us to part three. Jesus, if you recall, is at a dinner party. He's at a dinner party at Simon's house. Simon is serving him dinner. But what we end up finding is Jesus is serving Simon and this woman something much better. Right? He's serving up some forgiveness. It's what he's there to, to give. It's what he's there uh, to provide. One receives what Jesus is offering and goes in peace. And the other, Simon, is sort of left at his house, still sort of holding on to his dingy cup. What gives? Like, why does that happen? Why is it that Jesus could offer forgiveness to both of these people? He could cancel the debts of both, but only one essentially goes away in peace and the other is left sort of stranded, holding on to his filthy cup. Jesus says to Simon in verse 44, Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, they're forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. You can probably imagine Simon's reaction to Jesus' words here. Maybe a little bit miffed. Like, what are you talking about, Jesus? You expect me to hug you? You expect me to kiss you? You expect me to anoint your feet? And Jesus is saying, yeah, I do. I do expect that. See, the reason this woman is excited about Jesus is because she knows that she needs Jesus. She knows that she's a sinner, and she knows that Jesus is her only hope. The truth of the matter is that Simon needs Jesus just as much as she does. He's in just as much need of grace and mercy as she is because he, too, can't make that clean. Right? He's in debt as well. But the problem is that Simon's not thinking that way. Now, I don't fully know why he's not thinking that way, but I have a hunch. I have a reason, or I have a reason to suspect that the reason why Simon doesn't see himself as someone in need is because he's standing next to this woman whose life is so obviously in disrepair, so obviously messy. And when he stands next to sinners or people who have lives that are messier or a little bit broken than his, it makes him feel pretty good. It's like standing next to this, I think I'm doing all right. You know, when I compare myself to other people, we can do this all the time. We can compare ourselves to other people. We can compare ourselves in such a way that we always come out on top. It's like, good grief. At least I'm not like so-and-so. At least I'm not like Jeffrey Dahmer. At least I'm not like Adolf Hitler. At least I'm not like my roommate or my suite mate or like the person sitting next to me in class, right? You do it. I do it. But when we do this, we can often come to some wrong conclusions. When we compare ourselves to people whose lives are messier rather than a clean cup, we'll come to the conclusion we're doing just fine. But we're not. Simon's life is messy too. Simon's life is full of sin too. His debt may be smaller than this woman's, but it is still a debt that he cannot pay. His debt may be smaller than hers, but it's still a debt he can't pay. He's still bankrupt too. 
Jesus is trying to wake Simon up to this reality. In his kindness, really, in his grace, he's trying to wake Simon up to help him to see that he needs Jesus just as much as this woman does. To help him to see that he needs 100% forgiveness at the end of the day as well. The woman readily recognizes her need of Jesus, which is why she's willing to let go of everything to hold on to him. She's keenly aware of her need of forgiveness, which is why when she encounters Jesus and all of his goodness and grace, she can't let him go. Her tears over Jesus are tears of repentance. She grieves her sin-filled life. When she breaks this alabaster, alabaster flask and she anoints him with oil, what she is doing is she's pouring out her perfume. Now, at a time without deodorant or cologne, that perfume is in large part what made this woman attractive and alluring. It was essential to her job as a prostitute. A prostitute without perfume won't be in business for very long. And she is pouring it out. She is pouring it out on his feet. It's probably the most valuable thing that she owned. And she pours it all out. She's laying it all out. She's laying her entire sin-filled life at Jesus' feet. She's letting it all go. Because she gives Jesus all of her sin, what she gets in return is all of him. She lets go of her dirty cup, and she finds that she's holding on to Jesus. She's holding on to Jesus, his perfect life, his perfect record, her perfect Savior. Jesus points to her and calls this saving faith. Because she traded in her filthy cup, she got his clean one. And Jesus says to her, your sins, which are many, are forgiven Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Is the same salvation offered to Simon? Well, absolutely it is. Right? The banker in the story cancels the debt of of both, if you recall. But at the end of this story, Simon's not holding on to Jesus. Simon's still holding on to his dirty cup. What about you? Everyone in this room will either identify with Simon or the woman. It's unavoidable. You're either more like him or you're more like her. Who are you? Do you compare yourself to other dirty cups and think that you're okay? Or do you compare yourself to the clean one and find yourself wanting? In debt, right? Needing a Savior. The good news is that Jesus stands to save you, full of pity joined with power. He has come to offer you his perfect record in exchange for your dirty cup.